بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء المرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته سورة الصافات سورة صاد and سورة الزمر سورة الصافات the central theme revolves around submitting to Allah سبحانه وتعالى wholeheartedly and completely all of us if not in this world, in the hereafter certainly, will submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the hereafter and those who reject faith. But they that day are in surrender. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to submit to Him in this world. That's the essence of the test of a life. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks in this surah about the greatest test given to Ibrahim after passing many tests and after being given his son Ismail, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala presented him with the greatest test of all. From verse 102 onwards. And when he reached with him the age of exertion, he said, O oh my son, indeed I have seen in a dream that I must, I must sacrifice you. So see what you think. He said, O oh my father, do as you are commanded. You will find me if Allah wills of the steadfast. Subhanallah, Ibrahim salam had passed so many tests. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala still wanted to test him in that which he loves most, which is his son. Ibrahim alayhi salam was of course tested with his people when he destroyed the idol, when he was thrown into the fire, when he was confronted with the tyrant Nimrud, when he was told to leave his wife Hajar and his son Ismail in the barren Meccan desert without food or water. But still Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to demonstrate that Ibrahim alayhi salam, his love is filled with the love of his heart is filled with the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the love of nobody else precedes the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is really profound eloquence in this verse impressing on us so we can really visualize the nature of this test. When he reached with him the age of exertion, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered Ibrahim alayhi salam to slaughter his son when he had reached the age of exertion. This is the time when the child now is old enough to start helping the parents. And this is the time when the bond between the parent and the child grows most intense. Hence, this is the time when the test is most difficult. You can see again that common feature of the prophets, the terms of endearment and respect with which they address their children and similarly with which the children address the parents. Ibrahim says, Ya Bunay, which means my beloved son. And his son Ismail says, Ya Abati, my beloved father. Ibrahim says, Inni arafil manam, which means, it's translated, I've seen in a dream, but in Arabic, you, you get the impression, it's a repeated dream. It's something he is continuing to have. And Ibrahim emphasizes this twice, that I see in my dream, truly I see that I am slaughtering you. 
he doesn't just seize his son, but he seeks counsel from his son. He he seeks his son's advice. And the son is most decisive. Oh, my father, do as you are commanded. Why? Because the dreams of the prophets are revelation. Note how Jibreel did not come down with wahi and tell Ibrahim he must slaughter his son. It was actually a dream and a repeated dream. But the prophets know and we know that the dreams of the prophets are true and real. If Al-Ma'tu'mar do as you are commanded, Insha'Allah, or, or you will find me, insha'Allah, from the steadfast. You see, Ismail doesn't even behave arrogantly. He doesn't act in a proud manner. Look at me, how patient I am, how loyal I am. No. Insha'Allah, he's still attributing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala his patience. Insha'Allah, you will find me amongst the patient. And of course, it was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as he laid him down to slaughter. And when they had both submitted and he put him down upon his forehead, it is at this point that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ransomed him with a great ram. And we ransomed him with a great sacrifice. SubhanAllah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing us that we must be we must submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's command immediately, without hesitation, and even if we don't know the wisdom. Ibrahim could not have known what the wisdom of slaughtering his son is, especially when Ibrahim has made a long dua for many decades and years for a son. And then when finally Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants him a son, then within a few years to slaughter him, it doesn't make any sense. But we don't have to know the wisdom to obey the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Obedience is unconditional. Also in this surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us uh, regarding Nuh alayhi salam, who is the second forefather of human beings. And we made his descendants, those remaining on earth. In this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us something very important about our history as human beings. That Nuh alayhi salam is our second forefather after Adam alayhi salam. When the word humul baqeen is used, it's used for emphasis, meaning only they were the survivors. After the great flood in the time of Nuh alayhi salam, only the descendants of Nuh alayhi salam survived. We all as human beings, as narrated by Ibn Abbas, there was no one left except the progeny of Nuh. So we all are descendants of Nuh alayhi salam. He had four sons, one of which of course died in the flood. And the three remaining sons, according to some of the scholars of Tafsir, namely Sam, Ham and Yafir, are the forefathers of human beings. Also in this surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives other examples of prophets such as Yunus alayhi salam and others who are repeatedly described as ibad of Allah, servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they are described with this quality of being mukhlasin. It has two meanings. It can mean being chosen, but it also has a meaning of being sincere. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also describes them as muhsineen, doers of good. So they are servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are sincere and chosen, and they are doers of good. Surah Saad. Surah Saad, much of the subject matter revolves around returning to the truth 
when disputes occur. Returning to the truth when disputes occur. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala presents the opposite of that also, which is being argumentative and arrogant when falling into dispute. And that is, of course, Iblis. There are three main stories. The story of Dawood alayhi salam, when two disputants broke into his mihrab, his private place of prayer, and presented their argument before Dawood alayhi salam. And you have the story of Sulaiman alayhi salam and his famous dua for a dominion that, would, that could never be matched. And you have the part of the story of the Prophet Ayyub alayhi salam and his vow to strike his wife a hundred times. The story of Dawood uh, emphasizes um, an incident where two men broke into his private mihrab. They presented a dispute which they had and after listening to one of them, he presented a judgment. And then these two men suddenly disappeared. And Dawood realized that he was being tested and he sought forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we have a sajda tilawa in this surah for this reason. Now there are many uh, interpretations of why Dawood alayhi salam actually sought forgiveness. What was the actual error being committed here? One of the interpretations is that he was hasty in judgment. He didn't listen to both sides before issuing judgment. It's very, very important. And this is well known by the qadis, the judges in the Islamic Sharia councils, that you never ever give a judgment without hearing both sides of the party, uh, both sides of the dispute. There are always two sides to a story. When you look at the uh, Israeli uh, sources, the uh, sources of the Jews and Christians, you'll find other interpretations for this event, but one must be very careful, especially when looking at the Bani Israel prophets, because some of the interpretations can be very slanderous and can be very negative regarding the prophet. So one must exercise caution when uh, looking at some of the Israelite sources, especially when it comes uh, to the prophets and interpreting the life stories of the prophets. You also have uh, the story of Sulaiman alayhi salam, who was admiring the horses of his cavalry and his armies. And he was so busy admiring the horses and stroking the horses that he actually missed one of his salah times or delayed one of his salah times. And he asked for those horses to be brought back and he slaughtered them as a lesson to himself to be more vigilant with the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. رُدُّوهَا عَلَيْهِ فَطَفِقَ مَسْحًا بِالسُّوقِ وَالْعَنَاقِ He said, return them to me and set about striking their legs and their necks. As a principle in religion, when you notice that the dunya, the world, is distracting you from the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's the time to make sacrifices as a lesson to yourselves, not to be neglectful of the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's also the famous story of Sulaiman alayhi salam in this surah. And he makes the famous dua. قَالَ رَبِّ اغْفِرْ لِي وَهَبْ لِي مُلْكًا لَا يَنْبَغِي لِأَحَدٍ مِّن بَعْدِ إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْوَهَّابِ He said, my Lord, forgive me and grant me a kingdom such as will not belong to anyone after me. Indeed, you are the bestower. The Prophet Sulaiman alayhi salam had a kingdom which was not matched by any king before him or after him. He had control over birds, animals, which formed rows in his armies, tigers, lions. Jinn worked for him, deep sea divers, miners, 
the wind was subjected to Sulaiman also. The background to this dua that, uh, is that a jinn had taken control uh, over the throne of Sulaiman and Sulaiman sought forgiveness and uh, for his throne to be returned and to be given an enduring kingdom that is not matched by any. Again, a person must exercise some caution when referring to the Israelite sources, with, especially with regards to Sulaiman They have, have a very negative perception of Sulaiman and make all sorts of accusations of him being a sorcerer. And hence, in Surah Al-Baqarah, there are verses exonerating Sulaiman Now a person might ask, why did Sulaiman ask for something so great from the dunya? Aren't the prophets supposed to focus on the hereafter? Of course, Sulaiman his main miracle, as all prophets are supported by miracles, is that he had a mulk, a kingdom, a dominion, which was extraordinary, which is beyond the pale of reality owned by other kings. So this was Sulaiman's miracle. All prophets were given miracles. It's not through love of the dunya. It's so he can uphold the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He can make the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the highest. And this is his miracle by which he convinces other people. When we see the dua of Sulaiman alayhi salam, we can see the depth of understanding and his wisdom and his knowledge of religion. Before asking for the kingdom, he asks forgiveness. Because the two are connected. Forgiveness with regards to your sins can lead to prosperity in the dunya. We know this from Nuh alayhi salam when he said, فَقُلْتُ اسْتَغْفِرُوا رَبَّكُمْ إِنَّهُ كَانَ غَفَّارًا يُرْسِلِ السَّمَاءَ عَلَيْكُمْ مِدْرَارًا وَيُمْدِدْكُمْ بِأَمْوَالٍ وَبَنِينَ وَيَجْعَلْ لَكُمْ جَنَّاتٍ وَيَجْعَلْ لَكُمْ أَنْهَارًا And Nuh said to his people, Ask forgiveness of your Lord. Indeed, he is ever a perpetual forgiver. He will send down rain from the sky upon you in continuing showers and give you increase in wealth and children and provide for you gardens and provide for you rivers. All of these matters of the dunya are related to what? To seeking forgiveness. Because sins detract from your rizq, detract from the blessings which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives the example of Iblis uh, uh, Iblis in this, uh, in this surah and explains the reasons for his disobedience when he was ordered to bow down to Adam he said I'm better than him you created me from fire and you created him from clay this is the first act of disobedience in the universe and it is based on arrogance the sin of Adam was based on following your desires the sin of Iblis is based on arrogance. Arrogance is far more deadly than following desires. Both are serious, but arrogance is deadly. So when you commit a sin, turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and seek his forgiveness straight away. Don't stand there justifying your sin, making rational arguments why your sin is acceptable, or worse still, trying to reinterpret the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in favor of your sin. And we also learn in this surah that Iblis has no power over one type of believing servant. When Iblis promises to misguide all human beings, he says, Except amongst them, your chosen servants. Iblis himself is telling you how powerless he is in misguiding people who? 
who are chosen by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also having the meaning they are sincere to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Surah Zumar, the central theme of Surah Az-Zumar is sincerity, ikhlas. You can see this from the opening verses. Ikhlas doesn't just mean being sincere in your heart. It means singling out Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for worship. Inna anzalna ilayka al bil Indeed, we have sent down the book to you in truth. So worship him, being sincere to him in religion, meaning worship him alone. Unquestionably, for Allah is the pure religion, and those who take protectors besides Him say, We only worship them that they may bring us nearer to Allah in position. Indeed, Allah will judge between them concerning that over which they differ. Indeed, Allah does not guide who is a liar and a disbeliever. SubhanAllah, false religion is based on worshipping others besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, believing that they can bring them closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. SubhanAllah, SubhanAllah. Idolatry, its essence is we are worshipping statues, false gods that will bring us closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or we are worshipping that aspect of God which resides in these false statues. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dismisses all of this. But it's amazing to think that even idolatry, its essence, its, its origin or its justification is the belief that others can bring you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So why not just make your intention sincere and pure and worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? In verse 11, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قُلْ إِنِّي أُمِرْتُ أَنْ أَعْبُدُ اللَّهَ مُخْلِصًا لَهُ الدِّينَ Say, indeed, I have been commanded to worship Allah being sincere to him in religion. In verse 14, Say, Allah alone do I worship sincere to him in religion. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also warns against shirk and warns it through the most powerful example possible. The Prophet the greatest human being, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala warns him and by extension warns all of us of how destructive shirk associating partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. And it was already revealed to you and to those before you that if you should associate anything with Allah, your work would surely become worthless and you would surely be amongst the losers. There is a great verse of hope in this surah. قُلْ يَا عِبَادِيَ الَّذِينَ أَسْرَفُوا عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ لَا تَقْنَطُوا مِنْ رَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهِ يَغْفِرُ الظُّنُوبَ جَمِيعًا إِنَّهُ هُوَ الْغَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ Say, O oh my servants who have transgressed against themselves, do not despair of the mercy of Allah. Indeed, Allah forgives all sins. Indeed, it is He who is the forgiving, the most merciful. Towards the end of the surah, there is some of the most vivid descriptions of the hereafter which is worth reading and pondering and reflecting over. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives examples of the two groups. The word Zumar, the name of the surah, actually means groups. And people will be driven to hellfire and to paradise in groups. That tells us the importance of good company. 
Allah emphasizes them going to paradise or to hellfire in groups. People will tend to mix with others who have similar values, similar principles. Hence, they will enter paradise together or they will enter hellfire together. Also, the use of the word groups emphasizes that people are on different levels, different levels of iman, but also different levels of disbelief and enmity to the Prophet ﷺ and the message in general. Now when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes these groups coming to Jannah and coming to Jahannam, listen carefully to the description and see if you can notice the difference. I just wanted to speak about the beginning of this verse. And those who disbelieved will be driven to hell in groups till when they reach its gates thereof, it will be opened. Now when you go over to the verse regarding the people of paradise, it's almost identical. And those who kept their duty to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be led to paradise in groups till when they reach it and its gates will be opened and its keepers will say, Salamun alaykum, you have done well, so enter here to abide therein. When you compare the beginning of both verses, they are identical except for one single letter. That's how profound the Arabic language is of the Qur'an. Allah mentions the people who go to hellfire. When they come to the gates, فُتِحَتْ abwabuha. Immediately its gates are opened. But those people who come to paradise, there is an extra letter, وَفُتِحَتْ abwabuha, And the gates will be opened. Why? If you look at any of those medieval movies, when people come to prisons, the doors are flung open and they're thrown headfirst into these dungeons. That's the image you get from reading the Quran about the people who enter hellfire. They'll be flung in there, no hesitation, no delay, no waiting, flung in there headfirst. But the people who come to Jannah, they'll come with respect, with honor and with an entourage. So they'll almost be like a red carpet treatment for them. There will be some form of ceremony for them and the gates will be opened in good time with due respect to these people. There won't be any flinging with disrespect. The very last verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about when his judgment is finished. There is an interesting um, description. The last, very last phrase, وَقِيلَ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ and it will be said, Alhamdulillah, Lord of the worlds. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has completed his judgment, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has consigned the people of hellfire to hellfire and the people of paradise to paradise, the Quran says, Waqil alhamdulillah, Waqil alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. It will be said, Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. In Arabic language, when qil is used, it means fi'al majhul. The, the one doing the action is unknown. It's like saying, it will be said, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. It doesn't mention who says it. Why? Because everyone will say it. 
the people of paradise, the people of hellfire, the angels, the jinn, the human beings, everyone will say Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen in recognition of the infinite justice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Think about that. Even those consigned to hellfire will not be able to say, Oh Allah, you are unjust, you are unfair. They will recognize the comprehensive justice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hada wa sallallahu ala nabiya Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.